0: You're listening to The B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Jeremy Shearer. The podcast is brought to you by Conversa, a digital content agency that helps you create a month's worth of authority building content in just 60 minutes. Now, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that we're in the early days of a new epoch in technology. And I'm talking, of course, about AI in its all its various forms. And generative AI, and most famously ChatGPT, has really taken the world of marketing by storm for better and for worse. And by worse, I'm referring to all sorts of questions about privacy and the accuracy of information, intellectual property rights, deep fakes and on and on, that sort of thing. And I think AI presents us with incredible and tantalizing possibilities, but also with a lot of risks, many of which we're only just beginning to understand. And if you're a B2B marketer and you're using AI or you're going to use it, you need to be aware of those risks and understand how to mitigate them and avoid them and the the consequences if you don't. So to help us unpack all of this, my guest today is Susan Page. Susan is head of marketing at Monitor, a platform that provides software that delivers responsible and ethical AI model governance from policy to proof. Susan, welcome to the show. Hi, great to be here. So let's get into this. In in a B2B marketing context specifically, and you can provide some context around this, but for B2B marketers, what are some of the biggest risks posed by AI?
1: It's a great question. let me first start by framing a little bit about AI governance and yes. risks and like really help set the stage for what sure. marketers might be going through. So our company addresses AI governance, and for our target market, our target consumers, they have been using models for decades. This is the insurance industry, regulated industry, so they've used algorithmic models to determine your insurance prices, determine your rates, determine whether you get a policy, whether it's going to increase, whether you're going to be approved for a bank account, credit. So this is historic. Mm-hmm. AI and machine learning, on top of that, a type of AI, has also been incorporated in that. So you know, when we say AI governance in my world, in Monetar's world, we're talking about really being able to put an operationalized layer of governance in that model development so that you can track all the policies that an algorithm needs to adhere to, everything that it needs to comply with in a regulatory sense, but also the quality and performance of that model. Back into that, a product owner, a business owner, and an innovator wants to know, is this product idea, AI, really doing what I think it's doing? So there's multiple stakeholders in AI governance at that level for people who are building, designing models and using them to make very impactful decisions directly to a customer or to employees in their business. So that is Monetar's world of AI governance Mm -hmm. in a nutshell. Now, as a marketer, I have to put on my other hat. Mm -hmm. And I've got it. you know, we're a startup and we're rapidly gaining speed and working with our customers and really like learning from them what issues are very important. And to meet that demand, I too, lean on machine learning and AI tools to be more productive and help my teams be more productive in the ways that make sense for us and really present us as a brand and as a company in a good way. So I think, you know, we can probably start there. But one of the, you know, when you say, you know, what are the biggest risks that my, your marketers face? I think it is right there. At the end of the day, what are you doing for your customers? What are you building for your customers? What do you need to communicate with them? And what were the data sources that you used to build that communication to talk to them
0: mm-hmm okay and so what do marketers need to be aware of like what, what can marketers who are working with ai do to mitigate some of the risk
1: there's a few things that come to mind when i think about the risks and they're, they're in very different very different places mm-hmm. one of them is just let's think about marketing in general over maybe the past 10 to 12 years i started my you know I've pivoted my career going into digital marketing from product development so that was probably around like 2011 2013 somewhere in that time frame and if you were a marketing ops person if you were doing digital marketing and marketing marketing ops for the listeners out there hello I hear you you've been using some type of Algorithmic or machine learning system behind our marketing operations to build email programs, design campaigns, automate those campaigns from one channel to another. I really applaud the fact that for people who've held these roles, this is not new. Yeah. You've been using this all along. Make sure that you don't buy into the clickbaity stuff of like, you have to use AI, it's t- changing everything. You know, you've got a whole contingency of digital marketers and marketing ops people who have been like, I've been saying this for years. Right. You know, applaud it, we hear you. So now I'll carry that forward. Incrementally, machine learning crept into a lot of these tools in different ways. It was the explosion of ChatGPT that then made it possible for us to actually put our own input in any marketer, anywhere, regardless of discipline, put in their prompt or their query and get back something that really spurred a thought in them or spit out content that was maybe better than the stuff that they were thinking of in their head. So that just democratized it a little bit maybe not a little bit <laughs> kind of understated right so now that's where the risk and the dilemma comes in you've got probably like even the digital marketers and marketing offs people of the world and even sellers to an extent think about all of the data that they have been responsible for putting into these systems mm. on their own as individuals you know as contacts you know marrying it with other tools that they've used like zoom info or anything really like contact wrangling tools And I would say sales and marketing have been the biggest data stewards of businesses Mm -hmm. that we could really think of. And so marry that now. So there's one risk right there. That's all been individual entry. No company in that sense can say, yeah, all the data is perfect. We know that's Mm -hmm. not true. Yeah. Right. So there's risk number one, you know, when you're working with stuff, when you're working with stuff like this, it's not great data. Number two, in that same vein, is that there's not been a lot of, you know, I think if you are a system administrator, like of a Marketo or a marketing automation tool or a sales platform, probably had some incremental training on data stewardship, what needs to come in, privacy laws, policies, GDPR, all of that stuff wrapped up. You've got some people in your marketing organization who have been immersed in this and what the issues are. But here again, when you open up something like ChatGPT to marketers and they're starting to do stuff, I think when it first came out, one of the most eye-opening stories was like, hey, I exported this stuff from my CRM and all this content and I put it into into ChatGPT. And you're like, people who know what the consequence of that was were like, ah, don't do that. They're risk number two. Just not malicious, but just not clued in on what exactly it means to throw data into a public LLM.
0: And what does it mean? Like, what is the risk of that?
1: So the risk of that is really that this has evolved over the past, you know, since the release, this has evolved over time. Um, When it first came out, that was Nobody knew what the privacy policy were, what that what when they were putting data in what it was doing. And it it was only after interviews and stories that were coming out, whether it was Sam Altman himself, or it was more people that were working, you know, building LLMs and foundational models were saying like, Oh, yeah, this is secure. Oh, this isn't secure. Um, There was a point in time where in an interview, they flat out said we didn't have time to manage the governance of this or figure out what exactly the black box was. But we put it out there because we you know, now we know later, like they needed the data to make mm-hmm. that work. I illustrate that just to say a point like, it was moving so fast, it was right there in front of everybody. So the risk is just that you have a lot of people who are not knowledgeable about what the potential con- consequences could be of data getting exposed for another uh-huh. company, data getting, you know, personal data showing up in a qu- you know, showing up after a prompt that somebody nobody intended. That was a really big issue in the beginning. It's gotten incrementally better. And, mm-hmm. you know, with time awareness creeped up. But that's, that was a huge thing to overcome when this
0: when it was first released. Right? Okay. And so just to make sure I'm hearing it, if you could dump data from your CRM, like all totally proprietary, <laughs> And without even knowing it, it could, you could just be making it essentially public.
1: You could, that was the unknown. It was the unknown. You could be mm. remember it did go. They did dial back a little bit yeah. and put in like, you know, now nothing before 2021, but remember right. with prompt engineering, you can feed it and that's in there and it can come back. It may say it's not sure. It may say it's not, but remember everybody who is practicing their prompts or going out there and trying new prompts is training that model. So that, you know, the unknown, the gray area, the black box that everybody's talking about when just, and we're talking just Mm -hmm. when using native chat GPT, that was a huge issue. Since then, we've seen the enterprise version of GPT-4. We've seen like pay for versions. We've seen tokens that you can put on your website to say it can't scrape this. But again, there's just a very big lack of visibility into what exactly is when you do this.
0: Okay, so so the takeaway there is, even though I think as you said things have gotten better, there's more awareness around this. Still, don't take proprietary data from your CRM or whatever and upload it to ChatGPT. Don't do that.
1: Yes, yes. Thankfully, I'm not thankfully. You know, you and I sitting in marketing circles, or you know, saying that you don't hear about that, you don't hear that question as often as you did maybe back in Q1 of this year. Mm,
0: okay, so people have. Maybe learn the lesson the hard way and the word is out. Okay. That seems like something good to be aware of. What about around, you know, using ChatGPT, like generative AI to create Mm -hmm. content? I don't know a ton about this, but I know there's either pending legislation or maybe there's some active legislation around intellectual property rights and the way that these models have been trained and to create content, right? Images and written content. How much of a concern is that for marketers that are using either chat GPT straight up or apps built on top of it to create content? Like, how worried should you be about like you could get sued eventually or get caught up in a lot of these lawsuits?
1: Yeah, I'm going to answer that question with an example because it'll set the stage for where I think this is going. It it really is an an evolution of, I think, what Mm. we're going to see. And it depends a very old TV show, I'm going to date myself here, you know, Gilligan's Island. The running joke of Gilligan's Island was like they did everything but fix the boat, okay? (laughs) Every invention on the planet, they just, what if they just patched the hole in the (laughs) boat and sailed home, right? Very profound, mind-blowing. So I say this about, you know, my observation about ChatGPT, LLMs, and this whole, and the whole scenario of copyright and you know, citation and things like that. Are you telling me we can't build code to build a bibliography off of the things that were, (laughs) that we did all of this great work, mind-blowing technology, nowhere in there we can't write code to make a bibliography of the citations and where it started pulling and learning that data. That's a personal observation of like, you know, an analogy and just, you know, when you have time to let your mind you know wander freely. Let's, you know, that's one thing that I was like, you know, this this has to be coming. That said, we're all still learning this technology, even as marketers and as we learn what what good we get out of it. And even what we've like, you know, that was really exciting in the beginning, but I'm not feeling it, you know, there's some things about it that you'll hear people say, like, I'm not feeling it anymore. I like when it helps me think of a new thought. I like when I'm, it gets me out of my head. I like when it can merge documents on my own documents and data that I know I can trust and everything like that. I think what they're, you know, what we're going to see though, is as people are using it and they're putting their brands in there and restrictions change on how far back it can track data or scrape data from the web or what it's, what it's learning. One could say, this is where you're going to find your next brand awareness, right? Mm-hmm. Similar, you know. ChatGPT is not a search engine. I, try people that I train people like it's not a search engine. It is a next word generator yeah. that you still have to check every next word before you put it to work somewhere else. Yeah. It, that doesn't mean that the data that we've all been feeding it and trying to learn this technology won't create some kind of awareness funnel for marketers or brands or checking on what they're doing, You know, checking on what people are saying about their brands out there or what information comes back from the model so yeah. like I said it it's an evolving world <laughs> as far as copyright you know I don't have good answers the legislation is still muddy the case yeah. of as recently as August the case um that Selver, that I was identified with Sarah Silverman for you know ripping the copyright off of books and using the data to train the model yeah. um it was the one that had the most legs I haven't taken a look at how far it's gone since but just like everything that we've Yeah, I have, you know, could probably do an entire podcast on like, should copyright laws change because of this? Or should we uphold the laws? Just because we did it doesn't mean that those laws still don't apply. So there is that argument out there.
0: Right. Yeah. And I guess a lot of this remains to be seen exactly how it's going to play out. Oh, yeah. But that right there kind of speaks to like how big of a deal this is, right? Like when I said earlier on, this is sort of a revolution. I mean, I I really do think that it is that it raises some pretty fundamental questions. And legal questions are just one kind of question, right? But Mm -hmm. the whole body of law, intellectual property law or copyright law, like how is it going to be able to handle this stuff? We'll see. We don't know.
1: I was reading the, there's an article today that I think a lot of, maybe a lot of people have seen of what Morgan Stanley has done. With their own local LLM too and they're doing something very specific and I think this is really important to drive home companies are going to take LLMs but the ones that are probably going to prevail are the ones that have a very specific problem that they want to try and solve they've got requirements they've got goals and it has an outcome of if we do this we should see this type of improvement and that's what Morgan Stanley is doing they are taking financial advisor training manuals. That is the data. They have a very finite data pool. They're using an LL, they they said, you know, OpenAI's GPT-4, customizing it to take those manuals and turn it into training dialogue. And they cited, don't read the title, read the article, because when you get down into the meat of it, it's really, really good assessment of we were lucky that we had good knowledge management so we could find these manuals and put them in there we it, it draw it drew on so many parts of the business having done some past practices in a way that they could really be sensitive about what the data was going to do how many prompts the financial advisor would be limited to so that it didn't reach a threshold of a, of hallucinations so mm-hmm. my personal opinion is that these are the businesses that are going to prevail llm technology very specific use case, solves a very specific problem that can sustain growth in other ways for the business.
0: Mm -hmm. Really interesting. Well, the whole realm is interesting. It's an interesting time to be alive, just like at the dawn of all this, even though, like you said, a lot of, in some industries, they've been using this kind of technology for a while, but for the rest of us, you know, marketers <laughs> included, this stuff is all really new. So a lot to ponder. So Susan, what's the best way for people to connect with you?
1: The best way for me to, people to connect with me is through my LinkedIn profile. Mm. Just message me on LinkedIn or connect with me. I'm happy to chat at any time.
0: Wonderful. We'll put a connection to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. And meanwhile, thank you so much for your time for a really fascinating conversation.
1: <laughs> Thanks, uh, I was happy to do it. <laughs>
0: That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's c-o-n-n-versa.com.